Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Decatur City Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Decatur City Church app where you can find access to all of our recent message content. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. But most importantly, I hope you enjoy the following presentation and I hope it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. It is so good to see all of you all uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Stephen Lee, and I have the pleasure to serve here as the lead pastor. And we are jumping into week two of a series that we've entitled Wait for It. And this series is all about what do you do when you find yourself waiting. And all of us uh, here, because uh, for this particular season, uh, I mean, we've all been, you know, we're all kind of here residing in Atlanta. We know a lot about waiting because of traffic. Like, that's just something that we have to navigate. also want to give a shout out to all of our folks who are joining us online. We're so glad that you are here. Um, waiting, it's just, it's something that we all have to deal with. Uh, we talked a little bit about last week about one of the, one of the things that we do. Again, kind of three things that we want to do. We looked a little bit last week of just the importance of, of while I'm waiting, I don't need to wait by myself. That often uh, what God is trying to teach me in my season of waiting is like how to be more dependent on others. And uh, one of the questions that I've gotten, so I've gotten a number of questions. Again, a number of you all you know, I've, are kind of new to a lot of you all. And uh, you all know that we moved from South Florida about about four or so months ago. And one of the most consistent questions that I get when I move here is the first thing is like, how's traffic? And I'm just kind of getting used to it. I mean, I, my GPS the other day, I was five miles from home and it said 36 minutes. And I just said, that doesn't seem possible, but y'all, it was 38 minutes. Like it, it, it is a reality. And there's kind of the second question that people always, always ask is like, Steve, like what's the biggest difference between living here and living in South Florida? A lot of things. Uh, so you got the food, the weather, the culture. But because we're getting to know each other and because I want you all to know as much about me as possible, I thought this morning that I would share a little bit of just kind of a, a story from kind of our time of moving to South Florida almost six years ago that is just like it's just part of our story at this point because, you know, it's it was a significant story. So we moved to South Florida. I think this was August of 2017. And I remember having a conversation with my wife and the conversation that we had, we were in DC considering to move to South Florida. I said, Hey Tiff, I love you. I want you to trust that I know what's best for our family. So I'm just, I'm landed on thick. And when we thought about moving to South Florida, so here was her, here was her big hesitation with South Florida. She says, Stephen, I'm excited about the culture, the food, the weather, all of those other types of things. Her big challenge with South Florida was that she did not want to have to endure storm season. Uh, South Florida just has this unique deal where it's uh, like they have a hurricane season. You know, when we're here in Atlanta, like, you know, uh, a storm starts and it ends. In South Florida, hurricane season starts in June and then it goes all the way to November 30th. So that's just kind of the normal routine. So I remember kind of cashing in all of my chips. I said, Tiff, this is really where I believe that we're supposed to be. And so we end up kind of getting in our car, driving 95 south. We get to South Florida right around the last part of August. And uh, again, I didn't know this is kind of in the midst of hurricane season. And so about three weeks, no, actually, no, this is probably about six weeks later, uh, we've got a Category 5 hurricane coming right towards us. Yeah, yeah, I just, I cashed in all my chips. But I remember walking into my apartment complex, and and this was, you know, like I think about it now, it's... 
it's odd now, but I, you know, when I think about it, it's like, oh, when we walked in, there was a hurricane guide on our counter. I saw the hurricane guide. I didn't think a whole lot about it. And I took the hurricane guide when we first moved in and I kind of tucked it in the drawer. And when that, when that category five hurricane starts headed towards us, guess what I do? I pull out the hurricane guide and I said, I'm going to need this. And when you open the hurricane guide, it has all of these kind of different instructions, all these type of things that you need to be able to kind of manage your way through this particular season. And as I pull out that brochure, I mean, I see that we need non-perishables. I see that we got five kids at the time that you need to have, make sure that you've got water sufficient, that you might need to have a backup generator. And there was also something about putting kind of shutters so that if anything hit the windows, that there wouldn't be glass everywhere. And as I read through that, after being in South Florida for about six or so weeks, uh, we left and we drove back to Maryland. I just, I just said, you know what, this is completely out of my, you know, it's, I just, I didn't feel comfortable. It felt like I was out punting my coverage. And so we drove all the way back north. Here was the insight that I have. Here's one of the things that I felt like in the five years that we lived in South Florida, that South Florida taught us. South Florida taught us how to wait. It really taught us how to wait. I mean, it's just, it's just part of what it means to live in South Florida. I mean, you have this season. But here's the interesting observation about also living in South Florida. You're not just waiting for things. When you live in South Florida, you're learning how to wait through things, learning how to wait in the midst of like different storms. And as I thought a little bit about our topic today, uh, one of the things that you can often miss when you find yourself in a season of waiting, perhaps waiting for a job, uh, waiting for a a financial blessing, like waiting through perhaps a challenging relationship, like waiting through perhaps kind of moving to Atlanta and Atlanta trying to feel a little bit like home. One of the things that people can often miss is that you're not just waiting for something to happen. You actually still have to wait in it. And that's where sometimes the challenge comes. It's not just waiting for it. It's like, what do I do when I'm out of work? Like, what do I do when the financial strain is something that I'm feeling right now? And here's what I want us to look at today, because the situation I've just described is a situation that Jesus' disciples would have, they would have identified with. Jesus, very early in his ministry, chooses 12 disciples to walk with them. And here's why I'm so encouraged by the 12 disciples, y'all, is that the 12 disciples rarely get it right. I mean, they rarely say the right thing. They always are kind of putting their foot in their mouth. They're always kind of getting ahead of Jesus. But even in the midst of all the things they didn't have together, man, just, there's just ways in which Jesus in his kindness to them will still kind of leverage the crazy situations that they're in to actually teach them some things about themselves and about him. And the story that we're going to jump in today is going to be in Mark, the fourth chapter. And a little bit of context, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we've got four Gospels. And here's the intent of Mark. As Mark begins to write this story, recounting the life of Jesus, Mark's entire goal is to give us a picture of who Jesus is and why he's worthy of being followed. That's the entire point of of the book of Mark. And so as he unpacks these stories, you just start kind of seeing all of these things, which are honestly a little bit kind of comical, but he's trying to get us to the point of where we're in some sense forced to make a decision about who Jesus is and really to consider, is he worth our attention? And so we're going to dive into that story. We're going to be in Mark, the fourth chapter uh, today. We're going to start at verse 
35. Now here's a little bit of the context. Again, this is after, uh, so we're going to start here. It's going to start on that day. But let me give you a little bit of context before we jump in. The disciples have been with Jesus from 8 a.m., from very, very early. Like Jesus was a guy who got up really, really early and, and they worked all day. So we'll just give you a little bit of context of where they are. And so it says on that day. So imagine they started at seven o'clock in the morning. And at this point, we're kind of catching them up, kind of at past, you know, past lunch. We're headed into dinner time. Okay. So it says on that day when evening had come, talking about Jesus, it says he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. Now, now, one of the things I want us to notice when we jump in is I don't know about you all, but when it gets past about 2 p.m., my levels of productivity go drastically down. All right, so when I read on that day, I'm thinking, hey, if I'm hanging with Jesus, Jesus, it's about time to land the plane. Uh, if we're going to get in a boat and to go someplace, the reason that we're going is because it's going to be kind of a relaxed opportunity. When I start thinking about you know, evening, I'm thinking about Disney Plus and what's coming on. I'm thinking about relaxing. I'm thinking about kind of having a slower pace. But it says here in this particular context that when evening happened, that Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. I'm sure the disciples are thinking, you know what? You know, listen, we've been hanging out with Jesus. We're not 100% sure of who he is or what he's about. But, but he knows where we need to be. And he also knows that, we, that we, need, we need to relax a little bit. Let's look at verse 36. And so it says here, it says, so they, thinking of the disciples, so they left the crowd and they took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. What I love here about what it means to leave the crowd, I think that's also a picture of discipleship. Sometimes we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't often kind of mean that, you know, sometimes the things that we often think. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus, it often means that God has kind of removed us from the larger crowd and God desires in our life to use us in a place of influence. So it says they leave the crowd. Let's look at verse 37. And it says, and a great windstorm arose, a great windstorm. Now, here's the first thing that I would have a challenge with Jesus, because again, here's in my thought, it's evening time, I'm ready to relax, I'm ready to kind of put my feet up and watch a little bit of Disney Plus, Wakanda Forever just came out. That's where I want to be. But I'm hanging with Jesus, I'm a part of kind of his disciples, and it says a great windstorm arose. When you look, commentators often, when they give some insight about great, it says that this windstorm was sudden and violent. And it says, and the waves began breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. All right, now here we go. I'm just going to be completely honest with you all. I, I, I am not, I don't not have a lot of experience in water. I mean, that's just not something I'm most comfortable with. And Shania, my daughter, will tell me, like she's right over here. She'll tell you that the last time that I was kind of close in a large body of water, we were at the Little Mermaid ride at Disney and I freaked out. I mean, there, there, there was some tension like she, and I just know, and again, I'm not a scholar. Uh, like I, you know, I, you know, try to do things as best as possible, but here's what I want to acknowledge is that when water is getting in the boat, that's an issue. When water's in the boat, that's an issue. But here's the thing, which is so kind of crazy about this particular story. My assumption would be that if Jesus is in the boat, then that means that everything is okay. 
And perhaps for some of us here this morning, perhaps you're new to church or you're new to Christianity, or perhaps you're just kind of here for the first time because somebody said, hey, come to my church. I promise you afterwards, they're going to be cake pops. Maybe that was the, that was the agreement. But, but here's what I want to acknowledge for us today is that Jesus being in the boat does not mean that we won't face challenges, that we won't face circumstances in which we've, we've used all of our power and all of our might to, to essentially kind of avoid being in a situation where we feel stretched. And it says that the waves were breaking over the boat, so the boat was already being swapped. Here's an observation that I want to give us. What we do not see in this text at any particular point is that is the water getting on the disciples. We never see that. Like, think about this particular story. Like, the anxiety that the disciples feel is not because they're getting wet. The anxiety that the disciples feel is because what they believe is sustaining them is in trouble. And so often in our lives, when we kind of consider what it means to be in a season of waiting, y'all, this is what we often feel. What we often feel is the tension and the anxiety, not when things are happening to us often, but when things are happening to those types of things that we believe is sustaining us. One of the things that I remember thinking about this, you know, the very beginning of the pandemic, and, and there were a number of folks, I just remember when we were kind of hanging out and pastoring and leading folks, I mean, there were folks that like were in our church and they were like getting ready for retirement age. And, and here's what happened. Like when that pandemic started, like their 401k started to look like a one-on-one K. Can anybody remember that? Like in the stock market kind of started to hit. And, 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 you know, people started, you know, getting laid off and, and there were like all of these circumstances that were happening that often like, I mean, they caused anxiety and frustration. But I also realized like when you look at those situations, those are not necessarily things that affect us directly, but they often affect the things that we believe are sustaining us. What, what often happens, I believe, in seasons of waiting is that sometimes even in God's providence, which just means his direction over our life, is that oftentimes God allows us to experience things that we often think, well, Lord, like I just, I couldn't imagine that this relationship ended or, or I'm in this financial difficulty or, or, or I had to move from a place of comfort and a place where I had a bunch of relational connections to where I'm at now. And I want to suggest to you this morning that oftentimes in our life, when we are in a season of waiting, God will allow things to be exposed that we believe are sustaining us so that we know that it's absolutely him that is sustaining us. So, so they start feeling the anxiety. They start feeling the pressure and the tension. And what would you do if you felt that tension? You would do absolutely everything that you could to make sure in that situation that you survived. And that's what we often do in our seasons of waiting in here. Like we do, we do everything that we can. If you've been out of work for a year because of a pandemic, like, like you sent in the resumes, like you have, uh, you've done all the Zoom interviews, you know, where you've kind of have, you know, your professional up top and you got pajamas down low. Like you've, you've, you've done it all. But you've also realized that sometimes what you have, you know, what you've put a lot of effort and energy into, it's not enough. And so let's see in this particular text how uh, Jesus addresses this particular tension. It says in verse 38. Now, this is absolutely hilarious, y'all. Sometimes people say, like, the Bible doesn't have humor. This is hilarious. Here's what it says. It says, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. Love sack. 
temper pop, is it poshopedic? What am I trying to say, babe? Temp, like Jesus is relaxing. He's chilling. And I did a theological kind of study. I did a word study on, on sleeping. You know, I used, you know, a lot of the resources that I had available. I had commentaries. I did a, a word study on this word sleeping. And, and here's what I want y'all to know. Here, here's, here's what the commentaries and some of the, the religious scholars, when they look at why Jesus was sleeping, here's, here's what I found, that Jesus is sleeping because he's tired. <laughs> he's sleeping because he's tired. Because remember, y'all, this is evening. This is after a long day of pouring himself out. And here's one of the things, and again, hopefully this doesn't like get too, too confusing, but, but here was one of the limitations of Jesus' earthly ministry. When Jesus walked the earth as a man, but God in human flesh, here's one of the limitations is that Jesus felt a lot of the limitations that we feel. So when Jesus is in Decatur, he can only be in Decatur. When Jesus is in Smyrna, he can only be in Smyrna. When Jesus is in coming, he can only be in coming. Like he embraced these limitations so that he could identify with our weakness. It says that, that he's, he's sleeping because he's tired. But here's where we see the tension in the text is because Jesus is in the boat and the disciples are trying to figure out like what's going on. And here's what I believe this identifies, because here's what the disciples say. So they woke him up and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we are going to die? Have you ever felt like that when you've been waiting on something? Have you ever felt that like God doesn't see what you're going through? That God doesn't see like the tension that you're feeling? Perhaps God is answering the prayers of your neighbor, but not answering your prayers. And here's what the disciples say. The disciples say to Jesus, teacher, do you care about what we're experiencing? I just think that's a realistic feeling that you could feel whether you're a follower of Jesus or perhaps you're exploring faith today. But what I love here in this particular text is that the disciples, and again, I love the disciples, I identify with the disciples. Sometimes when people read the New Testament, they always kind of put themselves in the position of Jesus. Now, we are much more likely to be disciples, especially when we find ourselves in a season of waiting. What the disciples say to Jesus actually kind of reveals the condition of their heart. They say, teacher, do you know that we're going to die? And I began to see if I could kind of this week kind of put myself in the place of the disciples and so I go where I go for most of my information, Google. And as I pulled up Google, I said, you know, like, what would it look like? Like if I was on a boat uh, and just kind of thinking about like this huge wave that's coming towards me. And my first thought, like if I was on the boat and again, I've, I've got some kind of acumen to be able to kind of, you know, to, to feel comfortable a little bit better than the little mermaid. You know, like, so I'm, I'm so uncomfortable. My first thought would be like, if Jesus was downstairs sleeping, my first thought would be Jesus is not pulling his weight. I'm just being honest. Like, I'm just being honest and transparent. Please don't tell anybody pastor said that. That, that would be my first thought is that Jesus isn't pulling his weight because here's what, I, here's what I think the disciples were realizing. The disciples are still kind of unsure about who he is. They still don't really kind of buy in. And some of you all know how this story is. Like they still don't really kind of buy in that Jesus has any real power to address the situation that they're in. He says, do you 
care that we are going to die. Here's an insight that I just want to encourage somebody today with is that Jesus is never as afraid about your future as you are. Because we're going to see the response. Let's look at verse 39. It says, Jesus, he, he wipes the crust out of his eyes. All right. I mean, he, he takes the kind of the love sack and he picks it up. And it says that Jesus rebuked the wind. Don't y'all wish y'all could rebuke traffic in Atlanta? Praise the Lord. Jesus says that he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea. He spoke to the sea. The the God that you and I have an opportunity to believe in and to trust. Here's what's going to be so crazy about this particular story. When he speaks, things happen. Here's what it says. It says, it says that he said to the sea, silence, be still. And it says that the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So, So here's what this story reveals to us. When there's great chaos, when Jesus gets involved, when Jesus is in your boat, when you're in relationship with him, yes, there can be great chaos and seasons of waiting. But here's what Jesus also does. There's the opportunity for great calm when we bring what's concerning us to him. So let me give you, uh, you know, really just kind of a summary of what I hope what I believe that this particular text is is teaching, especially as we're thinking about a season of waiting, is while you wait, here's what I believe is important about this text, is don't lose focus on what is most important. Because the waves that we experience, the challenges that we experience, y'all, here's, if we can just all be honest with each other in this room and those of you all who are watching online, if we can all be honest with each other that sometimes the biggest challenge with waiting is not the things we're waiting on, it's that we're having to wait in it. And waiting in it is what is challenging. It's what is exhausting. It's what exposes us and challenges our faith. But I believe that this particular story has been given to us to remind us in the midst of all the things that we experience, how we can maintain focus, even when the waves of life are crashing against us. My first application I want to encourage us with is that we need to, when we are looking to maintain focus, is that we need to look back. Uh, One of the, the things that my kids just have a really, really good habit at is whenever I go out of town, I, I sometimes, uh, and I wouldn't say make the mistake, but I'm, I'm often because whenever you leave a, a, a woman home with six kids, you know you're in trouble a little bit. And so whenever I'm kind of going out, I just, you know, I typically I'm trying not to be gone for too long, but I often kind of say to my kids, hey, if you listen to mommy, like when daddy gets back, I'll make sure to bring something with me. So whenever I'm going out of town, And then typically when I go out of town, here's what happens. Again, there's just a few of us in this room. We could admit I often forget to bring what I'm supposed to bring. I just I just forget. I lose my you know, I kind of lose my train of thought or and then when I get back home, you know, I typically ask Tiffany, I was like, hey, how how are the kids? How did they do? Do a great job. And and usually she's like, eh, you know, I mean, she's you know, she's like they did okay. But here's what my kids do. What my kids still do is say, here's the person they say, hey, daddy. What did you bring me? And I just look at them. And, and I often will say, hey, give me a second. I'll run to 7-Eleven, get something there, and then I'll bring it back. But, but here, here's, here's what my kids do for me. My kids remind me that what I've promised, they remember. 
And in the same way, when you and I find ourselves in a season of waiting, remember, remember the first week we talked about while you wait, don't wait alone, that you need to have some relationships with people that can encourage you, that can help you move into the right direction, people that can be good influences on you. And we're talking about this week, it's important for us when we find ourselves in a season of waiting, we realize that we've got to wait in it. But for us to be sustained and to not lose focus while we're in it, we've got to look back. Here's what looking back means for all of us. What looking back means is that there's some things that often God has done in our life that we need to bring forward into our present circumstance to be reminded of why we're confident that God has not given up on us. He says, look back. And what my kids and our kids, our nieces, our nephews, our grandkids, here's what they do. Like they they don't forget the promises. And those promises in their seasons of challenge remind them that they have the ability not just to look back or to, to listen to the present, but it also encourages them as they go into the future. What's the practical application of this particular point? Is I think for all of us, like we need to have some scriptures in our lives some stories in our lives where we've perhaps ridden down, where, where when, when the waves of the circumstances begin to surround us, we can look back and remember, hey, man, the good work that God has started in me, I know that he's going to complete. I've got to remember that like, I've, I've got I've to have some scriptures that remind me like, that, that Jesus is, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Like, like I've got to have some things internalized because, because here's the importance of this. The importance of this is because when life starts to get challenging, we often kind of just do what we're naturally comfortable in. And so I've got to, I've got to look back. And, and here's kind of the second encouragement about looking back. And this is something that Christians and followers of Jesus have done for the last 2,000 years, that the resurrection of Jesus is not just something that we celebrate on Easter. The resurrection of Jesus is a reminder that Jesus is alive. So we look back to what God has done in the past and ultimately resurrecting Jesus and demonstrating that Jesus's sacrifice for sins has been accepted. And that should be a trigger in your mind as a follower of Jesus. Here's here's what I know. I know what my circumstances feel like, but here's what I've got to know as I look back. If God did not withhold his son from me, then I know that in the situation I'm in right now, he's not going to leave me. That I've got to look back. Here's number two, is that secondly, I've got to look up. I've got to look up. How do I maintain focus in the midst of being in a storm or waiting in a storm? I've got to look up. Uh, Here's what's so interesting about this particular text that we looked at today. Uh, I love the disciples. You have to imagine that the disciples, like they, they are much more comfortable on a boat than I am on the Little Mermaid. Much more comfortable. And so I have to imagine in this particular story that they do everything that they can to try to fix the situation on their own. And then what they do? Then they look down. And they see where Jesus is and they go and kind of shake him and they try to say, hey, Jesus, like we know that you care about us, but like, can you help us to do this particular situation? So like they look down. But here's here's another benefit that we have in 2023 is we know how the story ends. So Jesus, here's the good news, y'all. I'm getting excited. Here's the good news is that Jesus is no longer in the boat. He's on the throne. He's on the throne. And, and, and so as I talk a little bit about, about some of the limitations of Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus being resurrected and ascended 
and at God's right hand is a reminder to us of this important fact. When you find yourself waiting in storms, here's the most important thing you cannot forget is that Jesus is with you in the storm. In the challenging situation, in the job loss, in the divorce, he is with you. Y'all didn't expect all that clapping. (laughs) He's with you. And you can be comforted in the fact that as long as you've come to a place of, of following Jesus and accepting Jesus and choosing to follow him, you've got to know when you find yourself in a situation that feels like it's above your pay grade, that he has not left you. He's not left you. And so often in life, and I think this is sometimes a challenge, if you're not a Christian, or if you're not a church person, is that oftentimes, like sometimes as Christians, we, give, we can give faith a bad rap because often like we sometimes can confuse what we believe as God's inactivity to mean that God in some way has changed what he thinks of us. And so Jesus, so I often thought, I said, if I found myself in this situation, people often say, well, Stephen, what would you do? If you find yourself on a boat, you found yourself challenged, you found yourself kind of experiencing all the challenges and situations that, that these disciples, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what Jesus is doing. I'm going to get out a blanket and I'm going to sit down and lay right beside him. Because here's what Jesus demonstrates. And if you guys are take, if y'all are note takers, I want you to write down Psalm 4 verse 8. What Psalm 4 verse 8 says, it says, Psalm 4 verse 8 is a reminder that it's, let me just I'll paraphrase. Let me say, so it's a reminder. It says, Jesus is, the psalmist says that when I lay down and sleep, I'm confident. I'm confident because I've put my trust in you. So what Jesus is even modeling in his divinity and him coming to earth, like he's modeling in him being asleep in the boat that he's trusting not in the boat or his circumstances. He's modeling his trust in God, the father. So as disciples, what do we do when we find ourselves in situations that Jesus is? We do what Jesus did. We entrust ourselves to the one that we know cares for us, that has every hair on our head numbered. Jesus, in your waiting, is with you. He has not left you. He has not abandoned you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, And then lastly, uh, here is... Uh, the encouragement that we have as we're beginning to kind of think about um, the three ways that we can focus, that we not lose focus when we find ourselves in a season of waiting, is that we have this encouragement to look forward. Uh, my, my favorite seminary professor, look, I'm going to give you guys, I spent probably thirty dollars or $40,000 for my seminary education. I'm giving you all this for free. <laughs> free. You don't have to pay anything. My favorite seminary professor, and I'll never forget it, He said his name was Dr. Jim Allman, and he says that what God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what God will do in the future. But God is too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. Let me say it one more time. He said what God has done in the past is a model and a promise of what God desires to do in the future. But he's too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. What allows you and I to look forward, we find ourselves waiting in it, is the fact that we realize that what God has done in the past, it's a testimony. It's something that God has brought you through so that you can have confidence when you're in it to know that he's the one that allows you to look forward. So let's look at verse 40 and 41. 
It says, then Jesus said to them, why are you afraid? It says, do you still have no faith? And it says, and they were terrified. And, and they asked one another, who then is this that even the sea and the waves obey him? Here's what I want all of us to know here this morning is God is, uh, he's not the one that's causing the storms. But what God often does is that he can leverage the storms. Here's what I believe that he often does in all of our lives. Like he can leverage the storms so that, so that when he brings you through the storms, you have a, a keen reminder of his power and his might and his ability to come through for you, not just in the future, but in the present. What God often does in our life is that he'll leverage the storms to prepare you for where you're going. And I knew as I was kind of putting this message together that this would probably be one of the most challenging messages because it's hard when you're waiting in it to be encouraged. But as somebody who, you know, I think over this past three or so years, like I'm at a place and now and I'm still experiencing a level of weight. But, but here's what I also want to encourage you on is like where I am today, I can look back over some of the circumstances that I faced over the last three years. And here's, and, and I only say this by the grace of God is that what I went through in that last season, God used to prepare me for where I am today. That's what he's doing in your life. And I know it's hard, like when you're in this season to kind of be encouraged and to kind of receive the uh, just the, or to kind of live in the confidence that he's working all things together for your good. But that is what he is ultimately doing. While you wait, don't wait alone. And then again, just a reminder is that while you wait, don't lose focus on what is most important. Uh, I believe that what's most appropriate, I think for all of us, whether uh, you're a follower of Jesus in here, or perhaps you're not a follower of Jesus, is that we all have these opportunities in life. I think especially when we find ourselves in seasons of waiting, either if we're a follower of Jesus, to recommit ourselves, to, to just acknowledge, hey, Jesus, I know that I'm in a season of waiting, and I know there's some things that you're trying to develop in me, some things that you're trying to shape, and some things that you're trying to use to encourage me. And, and I want to kind of step into that in concert with the community of people here and in my small group and people that I'm connected to. But perhaps there's some other folks here that perhaps you're not a follower of Jesus. And, and I think verses 40 and verse kind of 41 kind of leave us in a place of just kind of saying, like, in light of who Jesus is and what he's done, and in light of kind of the claim that, that God sent him to earth to live the life that we could not live and to die the death that we deserve, and that, that Jesus was resurrected uh, as, a, uh, as a penalty for our sins, I think the answer to the question is, who is he? And... Uh, have we committed our life to him? And I believe above all things, it is an invitation for us to rely on him, uh, perhaps for the hundredth time or to rely on him for the first time. And so, again, I think the question that I'll kind of land the plane on is while you wait, don't lose focus on what's most important. I'd love to pray with you all now. Our God and our Father, we bless you and we honor you today. And uh, Lord, I've done the very best that I could uh, to say what you would desire for me to say, that people in this room and folks that are watching online, that they would know without a shadow of a doubt that what determines our perseverance in our storms is not our ability, it's not our might, it's not our know-how, it's not our networking, 
It's us being able to answer the question, Jesus, are you with us? Have we come to a place of acknowledging who you are? Have we come to a place of acknowledging that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Have we trusted in Christ? And if we trusted in Christ, here's the good news is that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And for some of us here who are waiting in it, the reminder this morning is that you have not left us. And even if we didn't cause it, Lord, you will use it to grow us and to prepare us and to shape us for who you desire for us to be. Jesus, you are not just our teacher. You are our savior. And we recommit ourselves even today to depending upon you, casting all of our cares upon you, for we know that you care for us. We love you today. And I pray for every person of the sound of my voice and those that are watching online that you would meet us where we are and that you provide what we need to continue moving forward. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our resurrected Savior and King. Amen.